Because we live in a Puritan police state, we are obliged to inform you that we may sometimes use explicit language. Now that you've been warned, let's get this shit started. Episode trigger warning. While we understand that these issues may be triggering for some of our listeners, we also believe breaking the stigma surrounding mental health to be imperative. Welcome to What I'd Heard Was. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Anna. And we have a special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? I I am the special guest. My name is Margaret, um, and uh, I I feel uniquely qualified to talk about uh, mental illness and mental health issues, as I have my own mental health problems. I have uh, family members who have. Uh, my father was alcoholic. Um, there's lots of anxiety, depression, bipolar, um, just a bunch of stuff. And also, I work in the mental health field, um, and I feel very passionate about um, people who have mental health problems getting good care. Which seems to be increasingly difficult these days. Yeah. What do you find is the biggest hurdle to, uh, for someone trying to access mental health care? Well, I think, first of all, it depends on how much money you have. If you are someone who has disposable income and you can plop down a bunch of money, uh, you can get an access to a psychiatrist or a therapist much more easily than you can if you have no money. But typically, people wait long periods of time to see a psychiatrist or a therapist. Um, Also, if you have money, you can get into fancy residential programs um, where you can get a month's worth of therapy and uh, support. If you don't have money, uh, say you have Medicaid or no insurance, uh, you are lucky to get into the hospital if you're in crisis. So there is a, a huge disparity Even um, a while back, they were going to fix the problem between uh, medical and uh, psychiatric problems as far as insurance uh, disparity, and it doesn't seem to be fixed to me. It seems as if there's still um, a problem with access and quality of care. Uh, It's just... uh, I remember Difficult. when they were going to do that, when they guaranteed that you would, yeah. your mental health care had to be the same as your physical health. Yeah, but right. That's not ever been the case as far as I've found. It, doesn't, it certainly doesn't seem that way now. Do you think it's just a, uh, uh, the system is slow to catch up to the political promises or that uh, it was just kind of lip service or... Oh, I think part of the problem is um, with advocacy. I mean, there are organizations like the National Alliance on Mental Illness that um, advocate for people with mental illness, but by definition, people with mental illness are not necessarily able to advocate for themselves. So you have organizations like AARP that that advocate for um, elderly people, and, you know, there are various organizations. I mean, if 
children with illnesses, they're going to be the first to get money because they have sympathy. But um, along with the people not being able to advocate for themselves, um, there is still the perception and still the stigma that somehow it's that person's fault, that somehow they're not living right, uh, they're not doing something right, or else they would be okay. Um, and there's still a lot of blaming rather than seeing it as uh, mental illness as a as an actual illness that you don't really participate in um, acquiring. I mean, you, it's not like you go out and say, oh, I'd like to be severely depressed and wish to um, die. Um, right. Uh, I've lost my train of thought here. <laughs> Welcome to the club. I'm there all the time. No, no, I could, t- yeah, it's definitely a, a catch-22, you know, it's the, um, in order to receive help, you need to be able to ask for help, but yeah. if you're asking for help, obviously you're cognitive enough, you're aware enough to know that, you know, so, that something's wrong, therefore you should also be able to fix it yourself. And in crisis, yeah. I think there's a lot of times where you don't realize that you need help. I found that for myself, is I don't realize yeah. that I'm in trouble yeah, I think then that, that's uh, part of uh, with serious mental illness. I mean, there's there's even a term for it there, that you don't have the insight to know that you're really ill. I mean, people so like, take for example paranoia. Well, people who are paranoid think that there are actually people following them and people talking about them. They are not thinking that I'm thinking weird stuff. Uh, they're thinking I'm I'm in trouble. Um, they're actually afraid. They're uh, actually feeling threatened so they're not necessarily going to go um, get help until somebody else notices that they need help it's like uh i think we were talking about this on a different episode stupid people don't realize that they're stupid you know and so <laughs> <laughs> well i would i would hate to equivalent <laughs> man that is an equivalent i don't you know i mean uh the um i, I it's just lacking in in insight and um Oh it's sure, yeah, a, yeah. Once it's it, part it, of an illness, um, yeah. Well, certainly, yeah. Stupid people don't realize they're stupid. <laughs> you know, but um, hopefully, once you learn more and once you become aware of it, then you can, you know, take that next step. Well, you've got yeah. a lot of issues, I think, with compliance. The medications that are prescribed to treat mental illness are awful. Well, there are a lot of side effects, and. Um, Things like um, uh, weight gain, um, loss of uh, sex drive, um, just feeling weird, and certainly going on to a medication. There's usually a time of adjustment, um, and then coming off of a medication. A lot of times, the the effects are um, very difficult to tolerate when you're going from one medication to another, which leads to people being non-compliant because the side effects are awful and then you know also with that is not having the insights to realize that you're sick and you have to take the medication i mean who wants to do that nobody <laughs> you know, no, no, nobody wants, wants to, to take it you no know, nobody nobody's uh nobody's uh chomping at the bit to get a medication that's going to cause side effects and um, but despite the side effects i mean it i know personally that's what keeps me alive so yeah yeah oh well that's true for a lot of people 
and a lot of people don't stay alive because they uh, or their lives are horribly ruined by um, by their mental health problems. What I, I want to get back to what I was saying before about advocacy. Um, it, it's the perception of, of mental illness as being um, a character disorder. Or, I shouldn't use that term because it's a term that they use in, in uh, mental health. But it's being something wrong with you personally as a person rather than an illness is part of what keeps um, keeps the the politics keeps the government from fully addressing it if they were people that could put pressure on the government to have adequate health service um, then there would be better better mental health service but there aren't people who can do that because of their their problems not that there isn't an organization like i said nami national alliance for mental illness for example um tries but um, there are other other diseases that take precedence, and I don't think, unless you know somebody who's seriously mentally ill, you don't understand how awful it is. It's not just feeling down. It's not just um, feeling a little bad one day. It's a serious, life-changing kind of illness. Not to bum you out or anything. No, this is all. This is the reason we wanted to do this episode. Anna, what have you learned over, what have you learned over the past couple of years about mental illness? Anything you didn't know before? Uh, learned from what? By hanging out with you? Well, by mostly just being by, with my crazy ass. Um, well, one, I think everybody going through this world pandemic right now is feeling, you know, these things of being trapped, anxiety, depression, um feeling of hopeless hopelessness helplessness uh because you know uh jobs are going away um all you know all these stressors and um so i think everybody is getting a taste of what a lot of people deal with normally in their or you know in their day-to-day lives and so i think that um you know as far as advocacy goes i think that uh this is going to be um people are going to pay attention to it more because they're going to have a personal experience that they could relate to. Yeah. So, cause it's always, it's always kind of hard to put yourself in somebody else's shoes to be empathetic if it's not in your nature. Um, yeah. so I feel like, uh, so funny enough, I feel like this pandemic is actually, you know, hopefully the silver lining is, is that it'll bring more awareness because people can relate to it. Um, uh, and, um, I think it might be a little bit, I, I think that might be hopeful. This is my personal opinion, just because when you have a baby, as soon as you're done, you forget how painful it was. Mm-hmm. So as soon as people are allowed out, they forget how awful it was. And mm-hmm. I think the difference is there is no, there's no vacation. There's no off time. It's like having a hundred kids, you know. Having a kid every day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Well, <laughs> Oh, not definitely. to discount what you're saying. I just think like no, definitely. It's like you know, you know, you, have a, you, you live through a tornado and you know a rainy day and whatever. But the second it's sunny out, you're like, oh, it's fine again. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, there's this, um, you know, at least it's a common experience that everybody's going through, that you know, hopefully folks can relate to a little better. Touch back upon. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. 
I, yeah, I hope so. Uh, you know, to add to that, people who already have a mental illness, uh, a lot of them are having a rough time because of the increased stress. I mean, people people with mental illnesses still work, and uh, they're not if they're not working and they're isolated, and you know they don't have the support they usually have. It, it it's very difficult, and the anxiety. If you already have a problem with anxiety. You know, just stir in that you could go outside to the grocery store and get sick and <laughs> end up dead. I mean, <laughs> right. yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's a real possibility. Uh, so that increases people's anxiety. Yeah, there's a lot of things to be worried about, I guess. I, I, personally, I just pretend things don't exist. That's how I survive. For the longest time, I refused to admit Iowa was an actual state. <laughs> and, and that's how you survived. You. <laughs> I mean, I, See how long that's worked for you? I mean, you know, you don't go there. You don't have to admit it's real. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it, it, it for the longest time, you know. Um, and then and then my, uh, my father-in-law married a lady from there, and now they live in Iowa. And so and I've actually been there. So uh, now I have so to... Now you- now you know. I have to find something else to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Jennifer, Margaret, what do you what do you think's the largest misconception about uh, um, mental illness? That if we could if we could break the break these you know top three in society, that would be a huge help. Uh, I I think the idea that everyone has control over what they're doing or understands what they're doing mm-hmm. is completely inaccurate. Uh, you know, I do the best I can as we talk about, but based on where I am on in my cycle, then that's going to be how I judge what I think is right and wrong. So it doesn't, I always say I've been many people reinvented and reinvented. And, so the um, fact that you, that you had, that you're able to control uh, your actions and emotions you want to that's what we need to get rid of the idea yeah. right yeah okay. yeah that thought sure yeah I, I I would agree that that was the first thing I thought of that that your emotions and your thoughts and your behaviors are always under your conscious control I mean there are times when people don't understand why they did, did what they did um, certainly when somebody is suicidal, which is uh, something I see quite a bit. Um, I mean, that's, it's almost like a delusion. And, you know, I mean, I know people have horrible things that happen to them, but other people have horrible things that happen to them and they survive, but some people don't. So um, it's like life is awful and I can't survive another minute. And, um, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole thought process that goes with that. And I'm certainly not minimizing that um, they're, it's, um, they're overwhelmed by just being alive, but... Which may that, sound ridiculous to somebody who doesn't, who's never understood that or experienced it. Right. But it's but at another true. Point, yeah, but at another point in time, they are going to feel better. I mean, usually, uh, I mean, there are people that are suicidal for long periods of time, but generally speaking, people are suicidal for, you know, a couple of weeks maybe, and then 
you know, if they get help, they can feel better. And that's behind them. And they, you know, some people even go back and say, you know, why was I thinking that? I, I can't believe I ever thought that I wanted to end my life, you know? I mean, it's it's usually a temporary crisis kind of situation. That's why they put people in the hospital, so that they're safe till they can get through that point and can get medication and can um, feel that they're more in control of their lives. Right, well, the problem, I think, is that uh, it feels like it's going to be forever. The, it, feel, the, it feels like it's gonna be forever, yeah. Panic and attacks, suicidal ideation, all of those things feel like this is what yeah, everything's is, gonna be like forever. And it's intolerable. I can't. I can't deal with it. That's that's the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you want people to be safe until they can get past that feeling. And I'm I'm going to repeat this later uh, in the show. But the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five, and they have a fantastic website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Good idea. Um, yeah, and there are, you know, there are various crisis lines um, uh, throughout, th- actually throughout the country. I mean, there are uh, people who man the phones 24 hours a day or woman the phones <laughs> 24 hours a day. Down with the uh, patriarchy. <laughs> I can't. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know the hospitals have emergency rooms and even if it's not a hospital that has a psychiatric floor they will take folks in and and transfer them somewhere uh, where they can be safe the thing is to be safe until they they feel better Um, and like i said some people that um, they feel they feel suicidal for long periods of time people have gone through horrendous things um, just horrendous things. I've, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people and um, uh, you wonder how they're still walking around and talking after what they've been through. It's, um, uh, you know, just to, uh, you know, if you sit next to somebody in the movie or uh, going to the grocery store and walking past someone, you never know what they've been through. And, um, you know, the kinds of abuse and um, trauma, losses. Um. Well, that's the, that's the hard part, I think, for a lot of folks is, you know, if, um, you know, if you break your ankle or something, you have a cast on. Right. Uh, you know, if you uh, have the flu, you're sneezing and your eyes are watering and you're coughing, you know, you look miserable, you know, and so it's easy for folks to say, oh, you're hurt. Oh, you're sick. Um, but if they see you at work, you know, five days a week, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, so it's, it's hard to tell on the outside, uh, what's going on on the inside. And I think that that's a lot of, you know, uh, what people have to get over with over is the fact that, you know, sometimes your mental health will manifest itself physically, visually, but a lot of times it doesn't, and so it's, you know, uh, there's a lot of the, oh, are you faking it, or are you just using this as an excuse? Um, to get attention. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, because it's mm-hmm. hard to say, hey, I'm suffering from anxiety, mm-hmm. or I'm suffering from stress, when, you know, it's like, oh, well, aren't we all, you know? Um, 
And yeah, and that's that's the stigma, isn't it? That you can't say I'm, I'm really depressed or I'm I'm really anxious or I've had these terrible things happen. Um, it, that's not acceptable. I mean, you can say I have cancer. I have uh, I have I have to get a colonoscopy. Or, you know, right. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, but you can't you can't say um, you can't say those things and have people understand generally i mean there are people that do but uh, and i hope that's changing i hope that that um uh there's better understanding i I wish they would teach that in the schools as much as they teach um physical health that they would teach mental health and that um people aren't to be blamed or shamed for uh whatever problems they're having it's well, I know it. I know at least at the university level. Um, you know, I've I've been uh, I've been teaching at universities the last couple of years, and uh, they definitely stress to the students. You know, making sure you know good work life balance and taking time for yourself. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, yes, getting your work done is important. Yes, you know, we have deadlines and you need to meet those, but. <laughs> you know, pay attention to yourself, pay attention to what's going on, support each other. So, um, I know at least at that level, uh, uh, things are, are very vocal and there's a lot of support system and, uh, normalization of these kind of, uh, uh, services and, you know, this kind of language that everybody's Mm -hmm. using that definitely was, it was there, but it wasn't pushed as much when I was in college at least, mm-hmm. you know, so at least over... Certainly not when I was in college. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was even more of a, a stigma then. Yeah, and, and probably, you know, that's one of the reasons that older people don't get help is that, um, you know, years ago it was it was such an embarrassment to have a mental illness, and so they don't want to... They don't want to be seen as a less than kind of person, so they don't go get help. It still is that way. I know I know quite a few people who, you know, oh, I either they don't want to get help because of their family, what will their family or their friends think, or somebody had been had put them on medication prior and they felt like as they were over medicated and so that was mm-hmm. it. Uh, well, that's, that's unfortunate because there are bunches of medications, uh, whatever their their particular mental health problem is. There are bunches of medications, and you know, I know I've heard so many people say, "Well, they're they're experimenting on me." Well, they're not experimenting; they're trying to find the correct medication to help your illness. I mean, they different people respond to different medications, and there's no way to look at you and say, "Well, you're five foot two, so this medication's good for you." Well, I'm I mean, there's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Also, when you get a medication, at some point, it can stop working. So even if you take yeah. your medication every day, it can just stop working. And that's yeah. you know where you can sink down or jump up. or Yeah, and then you have to go get something something else. And then again, you have to, you know, trial and error to get the best medication. It's not like an antibiotic or, um, I mean, even with chemotherapy, sometimes they have to do those kinds of things where they try different medications. But... Uh, even more so with psychiatric uh, medications, they they do the best they can with the symptoms that they see, but it doesn't it doesn't always help. 
And you know, there are there are very few people who whose medication just doesn't doesn't seem to do anything for. But most people respond um, if they get the right medication. And you know, it depends on what the problem is too. And there are some mental health uh, issues that can't be treated with medication. Yeah, that don't respond well with medication. Is that Certainly all? They need a, pardon. Is that all the personality disorders? Uh, I was just gonna say <laughs> the personality <laughs> disorders. Yeah, the um, well, generally speaking, uh, except for like borderline people, don't uh, go get help. Um, they don't see it as being a problem. Certainly the people with antisocial personality disorder, the ones who are uh, uh, termed psychopaths, that's, that's, uh, if you were a psychiatrist, they would, you'd be diagnosing them with antisocial personality disorder, um, which is like one to 2% of the population. And I believe it's 50% of the population of people in prison, something like that. Holy cow. I believe it. Yeah. But, um, uh, so those folks don't go get help, but people who are, are borderline, the best treatment for them is dialectic behavioral therapy. This is probably more information than you want. No, wait, what what the, uh, what's the, what is that? It's, um, it's, uh, a, form of therapy is based on Zen Buddhism, actually, where um, you become uh, more mindful of what's going on around you. The idea is that if you can become more mindful of your, uh, your emotions, your behaviors, that you can make choices about what you're going to do, and you can identify um, your feelings before you start acting on them, and uh, maybe curtail some of the the negative kinds of things that you might get into. There's a, they're actually, um, I read about this in an article, uh, what I had heard <laughs> uh, was that they're trying those kind of techniques in uh, kindergarten. Um, yeah, you know, mindfulness. And, and, yeah, and like doing meditation and stuff with the children so that they can learn how to uh, understand their emotions um, to try to help with, uh, you know, so they're not having... Um, uh, meltdowns and uh, uh, temper tantrums and fights and and so how to relate to each other better. So that's uh, self care taught in the school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously not all mm -hmm. schools do that, right. um, but they are trying it out. And so far, the the kindergartners that have, the the schools that have tried this have had great success, and the parents yeah. love it. The students themselves love it because they feel more calm. They feel more in control of themselves, which allows them to feel more confident with themselves yeah you know well if you're more in control you're going to feel more more confident if your life is chaos if your head is chaos every minute of every day it's hard to just it's hard to do anything sure no doubt yeah that's why that's why with the um, dialectic behavioral therapy they have um, groups and they have workbooks and they have journaling and so it's it you know you just don't wake up one morning and say oh i'm now aware of my emotions and <laughs> i mean it takes it takes practice i mean it, there it isn't it isn't an easy fix and so many of the people who are borderline have been abused in the past um have um a lot of sexual abuse uh, i don't think the general public is aware of uh, 
how many people have been sexually abused throughout their life uh, at one point or another or assaulted or raped and uh, you know you don't get over that easily sure and that in itself is a whole other topic that uh, society doesn't like to discuss and bring up you know uh, we already don't like seeing sex on <laughs> tele- you know v- violence on television is fine sex on television is not you know talking about that kind of stuff so let alone you know, violent sex acts and, or, well, I shouldn't say that. That's not, uh, and, yeah. you and know still, <laughs> uh, Yeah, and they still blame, that's another uh, instance in which victims are, are blamed. You know, people who suffer the consequences of the abuse are blamed for the problem when they didn't ask for it. Exactly, yeah. So what do you, what do you think uh, uh, folks who want to help or who want you know who want to be allies uh, with to folks that have mental uh, health issues? What do you think that we can do to help? Well, I think um, donating to NAMI is a good uh, good thing to do. National Alliance on Mental Illness. They have uh, a walk, I think, in May. Um, but just in general, um, donating to an advocacy group like that. Also, their website is wonderful as far as um, explanations of different um, different kinds of mental health problems. Um, so to educate yourself about what the, the problems are and um, what they really mean, um, you know, we throw around things like, oh, I'm so OCD or um, he's so bipolar when they're not really, I mean, they're just they just have behaviors where they're maybe a little uh, somebody's quirky yeah maybe somebody's overly neat or something so we're calling them OCD but the real OCD is painful it's it's painful because people are doing things that they don't want to do so to understand that um, also to, to change language you know um, I remember um, there is a, I won't even say who they are, but there, there is a, at Halloween, they had something called the psychopath. Well, you know, I understand they're making a, a joke. They have a, like a path through the woods or something that uh, they're making a joke. No, I don't think so, because you don't understand what that, you don't understand what that is. And um, uh, I don't think any time, uh, you know, mental illness is a joke i mean if you want to get over something and laugh about what you did before that's your business but nobody has the right to laugh at you or to minimize um any kind of mental illness or say somebody's just crazy the way we throw that around um it's like it's something horrible like you're again less than um instead of somebody who has an illness. Sure, sure. I think think something really important I want to throw in before I forget is society makes you believe that people who are mentally ill are the people who are dangerous. When in reality, the people who are mentally ill are the ones who are victims. Right. The, the, you know, a lot of the, like the, um, uh, the antisocial personality 
folks you know, that are, they tend to be the folks that are like mass murderers. And they do tend to be violent, but they're not, they're not the people who, like, uh, necessarily who are bipolar or schizophrenic or, you know, have major depression. They're, that's a personality disorder. Um, and those people have no conscience. So they're, um, they're not, they appear just regular. I mean, there, there are psychopaths, um, that are heads of major corporations, you know, somebody who's ruthless, <laughs> right? Somebody, somebody who's ruthless and who, who, who uh, you know, who, uh, uh, doesn't, uh, care about the consequences of their actions. Um, so those people are dangerous, but they look like everybody else, generally speaking. Um, I, I think I was referring, yeah, I mean, I, I, not obviously, but the, the people with antisocial personality disorder are dangerous for the most yeah. part. Everybody but, else. Yeah, know. but yeah, yeah. So so when somebody, I think it makes people uncomfortable when somebody behaves in an unusual manner, when somebody who's hallucinating or um, talking about people following them or have this exaggerated kind of behavior, they're talking too much or laughing too much or running around too much or, you know, whatever they're doing or uh, even um, terribly depressed. Those people are not dangerous. Those people are, um, generally speaking, unless you, unless you're going to, uh, you know, corner them or something or, um, you know, and you don't go around telling people that their delusions aren't, aren't real because you're gonna, they're not gonna believe you, and they're not gonna trust you anymore. Well, sure. If we sat here and said we're not having, the, we're not recording this podcast right now, I mean, yeah, it's real because to that's us. what they believe. Right. If I if I were to tell Anna that Iowa was, was a real place, then that would be. <laughs> she can't handle it. A couple a couple of years a couple of years ago, I would have called bullshit. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just a it's it's a me, it's something made up by the media. To... Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's a huge problem, and uh, you know everybody exists on a spectrum. I mean, we we have behaviors that um, because they aren't exaggerated uh, are not mental illness, but you know um, our fears, if they become larger, can turn into a mental health problem. Our, you know, our, our sadness can go over to depression and um, our uh, illusions. I mean, gosh, you hear so many people with, you know, all these conspiracy theories um, that border on uh, delusions. Uh, so, I mean, they, it, it exists on a spectrum. And what you were saying before, Anna, about people maybe understanding because they've experienced some of it, I hope that's true. I hope so. You know, the I, I always try to look for silver linings and things, and uh, my hope through this, and, you know, and I hate to say it, along with, uh, you know, the whole George Floyd uh, um, movement of paying attention to police and how... Uh, uh, they react because because usually if if you're in a situation where there is somebody who's having a mental issue who do you call who do you yeah. you know if somebody you know if you're if you're 
in a public place and somebody's having having an episode having you know uh issues that they are trying to deal with but they're, they're they can't cope with who do you call you call the police and unfortunately yeah. those things will escalate to you know uh you know hopefully nobody gets hurt um but then as you were saying you know a lot of folks end up in jail because that's what the police do they don't have you know yeah. they don't have the right resources etc so yeah. yeah yeah so my hope is is that you know from these from these movements that are going on that we're actually able to put spotlights on mental health put spotlights uh you know and and more funding you know um more advocacy for these mm-hmm. types of things so then that way folks can get the help that they need as opposed to being punished for something that they can't control mm-hmm. yeah i know in um butler county and in hamilton county there's mobile crisis where they a social worker will come out and assess someone the police you know go along but they're not the ones doing the assessment and i think there's a better outcome um if if everybody could use that model if everybody could um every every city every state could use that model where they you know they have mobile crisis and they can go out and assess somebody um, and be less social workers uh, with the ride-alongs maybe well i mean they i don't know about that but the mobile crisis i mean they just call mobile crisis and the social worker goes out somebody who has training in mental illness and they assess the person and if they need to be hospitalized then um the police write a hold and um, they can be hospitalized but it's a lot less traumatic than um than just having the police show up police trigger some people police trigger everybody like even if you're doing the right thing it's just, yeah i don't want to go to jail yeah yeah you know, you're you're dri- you're driving the speed limit. You know, you're wearing your seatbelt. You're doing all the you know, doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. Hands are at you know ten and two, and then you see the cop on the side of the road, and you immediately tense up. Like, am I doing the right things? You know, like Kara said, yeah. they're making uh, they're making hand sanitizer for police and uh, hospitals and that. And he says when the police show up, he's still nervous. So <laughs> relatable. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, and if, if you're if you're at a point in your life or right now that you know nothing's making sense and you know you're 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 having an episode, then uh, you know having that kind of a trigger just heightens everything and puts them on high alert, puts you know you on yeah. high alert, and it's just a bad it's just a bad mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody wants I'll... to go home at the end of the day. Yeah, I I. I... I would also hope that it's a good sign that maybe we've grown some compassion in our country with the number of white people that have turned out for Black Lives Matter, not to get too political here, but, um, you know, that there's some compassion uh, for other people, some understanding of what their experience is, what black people's experience in this country has been. and that's a good thing because I think uh, as a society we haven't been big on compassion I in recent years. That. Yeah. Make America nice again. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Make America kind again. Manna. <laughs> so what I've gathered from this episode is that mental illness needs better PR. Yeah. Um, we need some more lobbyists. 
uh, to help pass uh, regulations and uh, support systems. Um, and uh, we need a little empathy. We need a lot of empathy. I don't think you should decide whether or not you want to interact with somebody based solely on their uh, mental health diagnosis. Unless, okay. obviously, their mental health diagnosis is antisocial personality disorder, in which case you absolutely should base your decision on that. <laughs> You're narcissistic. You don't want to hang out with those folks either. Well, Let them hang out with each other. <laughs> Partay. Narcissist and antisocial personality. We can have fun together. <laughs> Do you think that the way things are changing, that there has been an increase or decrease in particular uh, diagnosis, diagnoses? Well, you know, I was reading, um, I was just reading something yesterday about um, bipolar being the um, big time diagnosis, that that's where everybody's being diagnosed, especially children. But, you know, um, when I first started out, children weren't diagnosed as bipolar. You couldn't even diagnose them until they were like 18 or shouldn't diagnose them. I, I don't know. That was not that I necessarily saw a written rule, but that was that, that was what it, what it was. And now we diagnose children as bipolar. So that's why there's an increase in diagnosis because we didn't diagnose them at all before. Do you so, think it's uh, like the ADD or ADHD where it's just everyone, it's becoming a blanket diagnosis? I don't even know that ADD or ADHD is a blanket diagnosis. I, I think... Um, I think it uh, got know, some good PR, though. Yeah, it, it definitely it got some good, good PR. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the children that have to deal with that um, are having a rough time. Um, it's, it's difficult not to be able to focus and um, do what everybody else can do. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's a difficult place to be. Right. I think it's I'm not, speaking more of like overdiagnosis. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if it's overdiagnosed or not, but I, I just hope that the kids that need the help are actually actually getting it. I know that, you know, nobody likes to see children medicated for no good reason, but there are children that need it, too, or they're not going to make it through school. They're not going to have a decent life. And we all that's what we all want is a good quality of life, you know, all the, the things that go with that, you know, being able to have relationships and work and play and do all that. Which I think ties back to what uh, we were talking about at the beginning as far as, uh, you know, that's it. You know, everybody wants a good quality of life, um, whatever, whatever the definition of that is, whatever the level of that is. Uh, but when um, you need to take medication to help with that quality of life, and then the side effects are hindering your quality of life. It's it's this weird, you know, well, which which of the lesser evils am I going to deal with? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well, for for um, a lot of a lot of folks, I mean, certainly the antipsychotic medication tends to have a lot of side effects, but uh, the going without the medication. Uh, I mean, can be life-threatening. So, yeah, I guess it depends on how bad the the symptoms are. Um, I mean, 
you can't have people who are uh, don't know what's going on, can't separate reality from uh, what's going on in their mind. It's just um, they're not safe. Sure, sure. So you know, if you're not, if you're just having mild symptoms and the medication is, you have too many side effects. I can see that. But you know, ultimately, ultimately, we all have to deal with who we are ourselves and what we have to do to survive. I mean, every single one of us, even people who don't have a serious mental illness, everybody, everybody has to deal with, um, you know, the good and the bad about themselves and the the sick and the well of themselves. You know, if you have if you have uh, an amputated leg, you have to deal with you know, an artificial leg, learning to walk, doing all the things you need to do. If you have diabetes, you have to take that medication, and that's a hassle. Everybody has has things they have to deal with in order to have the best life they can. Um, and that's true of people who have mental illness. So. And for some people, they can take medication for a period of time and then move past it, from what I understand, while other yeah. people are medicated for life. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Much like with yeah. the the amputated leg, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, you know, if if I break an ankle, I have a cast, I deal with it till it resets. I may have lingering pains or whatever, but I've gotten over that. But if you're amputated, that's something you're dealing with the, your whole life. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. a good. Yeah. And uh, it, coming to terms with that, admitting that you have a mental illness, and admitting that. Well, I I know that I can't listen to the news, for example, or I can't um, I can't be in a room where there's lots of people at a party or, or whatever it is. To admit that to yourself and to deal with those kinds of things are so important. I mean, you deal with it on a daily basis, just like you deal with. I have to put my artificial leg on today, and uh, you know, sure, I have sure. To do, I have to do whatever I need to do to have the best life I can. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, you experience those things as losses that, well, I don't want to do that. On the other hand, you don't want to, you don't want to have a, a, a quality of life that's, that's not good either. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go to work, but, uh, you know, we all got to, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you still got to get up and do it, we, so. Yeah, you do need the money to buy food and have a place <laughs> right. to live, so that's just those little things like that that you have to deal with. What do you think the future of treating mental illness will look like, maybe five, uh, ten, fifty years from now? Um, I uh, hope they come up with better medications that have fewer side effects. Um, I they had a gene site um, uh, evaluation, which is where they check and see which medications are supposed to be good based on who you are. And um, I just talking to people that hasn't been outrageously successful, That's but I hope that they perfect that and that they're able to to tell uh, beforehand what medications would um, would help people so that they don't have to go through the trial and error of different medications. Um, this, um, the, uh, uh, using magnets for depression, um, I don't know that that's wildly uh, 
successful, but it is successful for some people. So I hope there's more non-invasive kinds of therapies. There are people that are very ill that end up still having um, electroconvulsive therapy. Um, and that, you know, and people tend to have memory loss after that. That's not totally benign. So I hope they find some other ways of treating people that um, are less invasive and I'm hoping, uh, more effective. I'm hoping that we look back on this time, 50 years, however long in the future, and say it's barbaric, just as we yeah. think about 50 years ago, 100 years ago, how barbaric the treatment was then. I hope yeah. that for people in the future, there is none of this stuff. You know? Yeah. So, but or, well, or the microdosing with psilocybin that seems to be showing some promise. There's microdosing yeah. for um, the psilocybin's the magic mushrooms. Correct. It's the active ingredient in uh, the mushrooms. Uh, ketamine, uh, and they've used ketamine, uh, and some people do well with that. They've, uh, but you know, I'm. They're still trying to do the best they can but with what what we have but it's not uh, you know I mean hopefully they'll find a cure for cancer someday too but right now things are are just doing the best they can with what what's available but I, I am hoping in the future that they'll be able to do things that are less invasive and less less side effects and able to identify problems and it would be wonderful if we educated everyone about mental illness so there, there wouldn't be this stigma. Uh, it just adds to the burden of having a mental health problem to uh, have the judgments that we, we have. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't feel like doing this, it's, it's too much, uh, I don't know how I could you know, get all this stuff done, that's when you know you absolutely need to do it. Yeah. So catching yourself early, if you're able to, is is good. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than <laughs> waiting until things are 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 in a terrible crisis, uh, when you notice you start having problems, that that has to do a lot with stigma too. You know, you know, you know thinking yourself, oh, I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know? Well, well, I'll no, let it, but you. I'll no, let you everybody have a, else. A problem. <laughs> I'll let everybody off the hook. We're all crazy, so we just we just gotta find our different levels. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying before. It's, I mean, behavior, emotions are on a uh, a continuum. I mean, we all have a little bit of something, um, but it, when it becomes more exaggerated, then it becomes an issue when it inter interferes with our ability to function and to enjoy our lives. And it and it, and for some people, it takes everything their ability to get up and cook or to take a shower or to leave the house or any of the things that I don't want to say normal but the average person perhaps wouldn't think twice about mm -hmm. so oh the last part I was I really wanted to talk about is they interview these people and they say uh, you know if you could get rid of your bipolar would you do that and they're no, because it's become who I am. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to tell you right now. You asked me that question. Yes, yes, I would get rid of it. I would never want to uh -huh. have it. So, 
And don't, yeah. don't pretend that it's okay to have if you don't think it's okay to have. If you think it's great, it's great. But mm-hmm. do you have any advice for, well, anyone? For anything? <laughs> for anything. <laughs> would you like to tell anyone anything? <laughs> don't go to Iowa. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, um, you might want to mention the suicide hotline again but if you have problems do something about them before they um, get out of hand you don't need to wait uh, if you're depressed to be suicidal you don't need to wait if you're anxious to um, have panic attacks Um, you need to see someone or get medication, do something before it reaches a crisis point. And I mean, it's, it's your life. It's the quality of your life. There's no, it's, yeah. I mean, what else do we have? That's it. That's true. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. And we will have the links uh, in the description for anyone who's interested. And again, the uh, suicide The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255, and their website is suicidepreventionlifeline.org, or you can reach out to nami.org, N-A-M-I. And again, we'll have all the links in the description. On our website. On our website. And NAMI also has a, a hotline uh, for people who have been diagnosed um, to find out more about their mental illness. They have they have patient support groups. They have family support groups. Um, it's a great organization. And we hope that uh, all of our listeners will seek help if they need it to reach out to someone. Um, we support you, and we hope to break this. stigma single-handedly what i had heard was that what i'd heard was the podcast single-handedly removed the stigma surrounding mental illness <laughs> i'm pretty that sure that is we, optimistic we we can at least put that on wikipedia right <laughs> so <clears throat> well uh anything else anyone no nope okay well, thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely uh, eye-opening and informative. Uh, and we will see everyone next week. Visit our website at wihhw.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, see guest links and information, and some fancy extras. Check us out on Facebook at What I Had Heard Was or Instagram, hashtag What I Had Heard. And if you really want to get something off your chest, email us at what I had heard was at gmail.com. We would like to thank our sponsor, Reset, an encore for your production. Do you create things to educate, entertain, frighten, or enlighten an audience? Have you invested time, money, and soul into your work and not want to see it go right into the trash? Then Reset is the website for you. Create a listing for your new or used entertainment item on www.resetyourset.com so your work can get the encore it deserves. Visit the site for listings, dock sales, and a customized treasure map of the secondhand and resale stores across the country. That's 
www.resetyourset.com or you can follow Reset on Facebook or Instagram with hashtag ResetYourSet.